I'm on. I am on. Hey, Andrew, how you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Hey, man, hanging in there. Uh, gonna be a fun topic to discover, to talk through today. Uh, something that we had tried to pick up last time and just didn't get a lot enough time to do it. But um, you ready? You ready to? I'm ready to do topic? this. So what are we doing? Head coverings too? Is that our, our title? Head today? coverings. Well, <laughs> I mean, first Corinthians 11, right? Because I yeah. think, you know, how we left things off is we made it very clear. Like the one thing that's 100% sure from this passage is that God has created us with gender distinctions and those gender distinctions even have a role within the church um, and, uh, and seen, and you know, what, what's disputed though, is how are those seen? Um, and so I want to deal with that. Like, should there be head coverings? You and I are both pastors, majority yeah. of our people, no head coverings. Um, are we reading it wrong? Are we, are we not, you know, that, that's a good question. I think you and I be, need to ask, you know, are we off? Do we need to tweak it? Uh, are we right on and free to, to kind of just keep going and, and, you know, disregard the head coverings passage. Yeah, I, I think oh, yeah, it's, it's a that, good because we're not disregarding, but we're saying we're not doing at least what I, uh, I would suggest that about half of our congregants are adhering to the, the head coverings, uh, typically the men. Yeah. Oh, so, you're saying so at least uh, half right because <laughs> the men aren't wearing hats. No. And, and, and there still is a stigma attached to that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've uh, been to churches, too, where at least you wouldn't have women head coverings, but you'd have the dudes get pretty ticked if a man walked in with a hat. Though right. now you go to a lot of churches too. It's not uncommon for the dude to walk up, even be on the platform with his ball cap on and pray. Right. And, and again, that, that even is in a cultural uh, setting inappropriate, I would say. And uh, it, it just goes to, again, rebellion, I think undergirds a lot of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but let's go ahead and pray and then just get, get we after that. Uh, so <laughs> let's start with the Lord's prayer. Uh, if you'll join me, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And Lord, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. All right. So um, let's, I guess where we need to pick up, right? You and I have been talking about yeah. where we're going to pick up is what? Verse seven? Yeah. Around verse seven, we... I'm, I, that might be in the middle of, of stuff, but that that's well, okay. We, we just you're, recapping. Yeah. But okay. Just important. And in this, right. Is one of the things that you see in those first six verses is you do see um, women playing a role in the worship service, right? Uh, he says in verse four, everyone, every man who pro prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head since that is the one and the same as having her head shaved. But if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it's disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. So that's where we kind of pick up. Um, right. My initial question is, by the way, um, what is disgraceful about head being shaved? Uh, you know, in that, cause I mean that my mind initially goes there, right. Is, why yeah. is that such a, because we live in 2021, a lot of people go shaved. I mean, I remember that one of the first times was it in the nineties. It was like, uh, and O'Connor Moore was one of the yeah. first ones would have like <laughs> the shaved head that I knew about watching the movies, but yeah. yeah. 
Well, I, and I think this would pick up a little bit towards the end where he talks about nature, even telling us that long hair is uh, glorious for a woman. Uh, let's just look at that real quick. Um, Does not nature itself, verse 14, teach you that if a man has long hair, it dishonors him. But if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory. And so it's an assumption that Paul's making that his readers would also agree that uh, a woman with shaved hair is a disgrace. And this, again, this may or may not be related to the prostitution question. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's important because, again, the way that I think most commentators approach this is how do we get out of this? This is going to cause us trouble at home and we don't need that trouble. Yeah. So let's try to make some kind of cultural basis that we can discard at the end. And generally, I, I think history can be helpful. It can be insightful, but it should not. Uh, we shouldn't be dependent upon that in order to you know, apply the Bible to our lives, because we have both witnessed opportunities and uh, where, where the history was decided until it wasn't anymore, right? The, the historical reconstructions continue to change. Um, but yeah, if, if this is related to uh, temple prostitution or prostitution in general, um, then so be it. Paul would then be using somewhat of a hyperbolic argument here saying, kind of like Jesus, you know, cut off your limbs if they yeah. cause you to sin, shave your head, you know, but if you think that's bad, then why don't you just cover your head is what well, he's saying. And I think it's fun on that. And so I just picked this up off the shelf really quickly. And so Gordon Fee's commentary on Corinthians <clears throat> in the New International Commentary on the New Testament series. And he writes this in the footnotes on that shaved head. Um, he says in the footnotes, he says it was commonly suggested that short hair or a shaved head was the mark of a Corinthian of Corinthian prostitutes. And he gives the source for that uh, there. But there is no contemporary evidence to support this view. It seems to be the case of one scholar's guess becoming a second scholar's footnote and a third scholar's assumption. Um, and so that's important to know because even just this, this uh, getting back to the office, driving, I was listening. And one of the big assumptions that's made in all of this too is we're dealing with temple prostitution. The problem is he nowhere mentions temple right. prostitution it's a big assumption. It's a it's a backdrop that people force onto the text, but it's not there. So when we when we are talking about this passage, we do have to keep in mind um, that yeah, we're not dealing with um, you know we're not dealing with prostitution necessarily. That may not be the right backdrop to do it, and I don't think it's it's proper to just force that onto the text. Yeah, the whole thing, again, if the text is very difficult to understand, the you know Protestant hermeneutic is let the clear parts of scripture interpret the less clear. This isn't that unclear. It's just uncomfortable. And so, you know, I would say that as you read through this, we don't want to put burdens unnecessarily upon our congregants, but we do want to be obedient and teach consistent hermeneutics. And I feel like what we have done with this passage has bled over into other passages and people are using a very similar uh, hermeneutic, uh, a hermeneutic of escape of, I just have to find any cultural practice that's plausible to lay on top of a text I don't like. And then I can say, well, that was just for them there. And it's not for me here. And we see that all the time when it comes yeah. to especially, uh, sexual practice, um, is that one's commonly used as this is why it's okay. Cause what Paul was really against was temple cult prostitution or, you know, temple homosexuality and not, uh, you know, a monogamous homosexual relationship. And that's another imposed view. I mean, there's a whole book on the shelf by Robert Gagnon, who's now at, I think, Houston Baptist 
Um, but that was a that's a that's a huge one about just the ancient Near Eastern literature um, and what what contemporary would have been in Paul's time and how that's not that's not a genuine uh, or even realistic historical backdrop to put on the text. And yet people do that to get away from and to find a way outside and say, well, Paul was just talking about this. He never said that. You've said that. Yeah. And, and again, it's helpful to have a fee statement there. We don't have any evidence that this connects to that, that, that this is a temple prostitution connection. And so yeah. discounting what I said based on that or other similar cultural practices that may or may not be uh, determined would be bad exegetical practice. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, what is, what is the thrust? You know, what we know is um, it's a shame for a woman, according to Paul, to have her head shaved. And akin to that, it's a shame to be in public worship and have your head uncovered. That, that's what he's saying. Yeah. And we can, we can keep working through it and see the argument we're going to get, which we alluded to before, is a theological argument, not a cultural one. And that's, I think, the, the key. He does talk about some cultural assumptions, but these are assumptions within the church. So I think that's important, too, because I, I also don't really um, think that we've given enough concern, going back to Niebuhr, about um, Christ over culture, or you, what about a church culture in itself, where maybe you don't always bend the church to the cultural whims, but you actually have a church culture that may even transcend your social culture. And that's a whole different thing to discuss, too, because I would say that any group that wants to enforce these practices is well within their rights to do so, because it's the easiest way to affirm what Paul wants us to affirm. And that is the headship of man on for women and the headship of Christ for man. And so there's nothing wrong with keeping this in place, but I would argue that a lot of interpreters today, a lot of churchmen today would actually think this would be wrong to impose upon the ladies in the church. Yeah. Well, you want to go through and just kind of talk yeah. through the verses now and let's just see, you know, if we're, so we're going to begin in let's go seven, 11. Um, did we go through 10 yet? Uh, let, let's, uh, let's go okay. through seven, seven through 10. Let me just read that. And then we'll, we'll go from there. A man ought not to have his head covered since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Okay. A man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. So we have a structural uh, authority that is being laid out uh, that, that we have a glory for both men and women, that woman is the glory of man, man is the uh, image and glory of God. We're talking Genesis 2 language, right? And then Paul has a corrective here. So don't get too excited, uh, boys, uh, that man does not originate from woman. Sorry, uh, he'll get to that. Um, man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For man was not created for woman's sake, but woman's for, for man's sake, okay? You, you don't get much more patriarchal than that, but this is Genesis 2. Uh, anything you want to pick up on that? <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's pretty clear, pretty straightforward stuff. So there is a creation structural argument that yeah. Paul is leaning on here. And whatever culture that you find yourself in, this holds true. Yeah. Theologically. Yeah. I mean, Therefore, that, that's, the, that, that's yeah. the big key thing, right? Is notice some of the, he, he's going back to creation at this point. Um, and that, and, and I think that's a key piece to understand that like, he's not giving in this case, he's not leaning on something that's cultural. He's going back to, you know, pre-fall and that's important, right? Is what has yeah. been given prior to the fall for us to understand. 
And so then he says this statement, which is difficult. Uh, Therefore, the woman ought to have authority or a symbol of authority, depending on your translation, on her head because of the angels. For the sake of the angels, because of the angels, what does it mean? Uh, We talked last time. I I am persuaded that there is an understanding in Christian uh, liturgy that there is angelic presence in our worship services. We know that we've ministered, there's ministering spirits. We know that we have entertained angels in disguise. We, We know that there is a touching of the spiritual and the physical that occurs and where would that be more uh, prominent than in the worship right yeah and even in some of the liturgical practices that you know what angels fear to tread you know that, that we're kind of in this mix especially in worship i think it's most pronounced in revelation 4 when john is uh isolated away from the church and god says just come to my worship service and he calls him through the heavenly window and he participates in heavenly worship uh with the angels and so we, we see that that is a normal uh, kind of understanding. And uh, we've got other practices. You know, I, I've got some Bible verses um, somewhere. Hang on here. Um, Hebrews, when, we, when he again brings his firstborn into the world, he says, all God's angels must worship him. Uh, we've got Luke 15. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over a sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. So when we have a lost person get saved on a Sunday, the angels are celebrating with us in that. So yeah. th- there's there's other verses. That's an interesting point there. Now, now I've yeah. also heard it on the, the, the angels piece, though, is, uh, you know, the speculation of if we're talking about authority issues here, uh, is this uh, is this just a sign of authority? Because, you know, we had other angels that left their place uh, and uh, they refused to recognize authority um you know in for god and you know and so that this is symbolic as well that uh you know that we are going to recognize our authority for the lord um and so that's kind of the image right is because they didn't and we need to right but i I do like what you brought up the idea that worship uh how you know our work how our services are involved and they're much more spiritual than you and i assume even right is we just show up we do music and preach but there's so much more going on behind the scenes and, and I'll tell you, when I went to California in 2005 and every church had a coffee bar in the back and this, yeah. you know, people would just be getting up during the message and during the singing and uh, grab something. I, I, I was pretty put off by that uh, growing up in more of a traditional Baptist uh, service. And of course, it, it was the seeker friendly idea. And, it, you know, you can bring your friends to church. It'll be cool, kind of casual. Yeah. And if, if we knew that there were angels surrounding us, would we do the same thing? Would, if, if we yeah. knew that Jesus just walked in the door, we'd be like, you know, would you like a donut, Lord? Um, yeah. You know, things to just uh, think about. Uh, and would you take your head covering off, which would be recognized as a symbol of authority? And, yeah. and that's an interesting thing. Now, we don't conceive of that today because we are 60 years down a road that is detached from that in, in our own culture. But I think that's what Paul's referencing here. And then angels cover their faces, uh, Isaiah 6. Uh, before the Lord. Also, if you want to see the reference of protection, we were just in Genesis 2. Genesis 3 is a scene where an angel of the Lord goes to Eve and subverts the creation order in order to create the fall of mankind. Yeah. Which results in a curse where woman will have trouble in childbirth pain and she will desire, you know, her desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over you. And so that could be tied in here. It's not overt. It certainly is overt in Timothy, where Paul talks about who was deceived. So that that could be in his thought logic here. 
that uh, again, a woman having a symbol of authority here is acknowledging the results of the fall, acknowledging God's creation order, and it could provide protection, uh, yeah. perhaps. I, I, you know, so there's just not enough here to to be definitive on that, but but I wouldn't rule that out. I wouldn't necessarily jump to Genesis six so much as Genesis three. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. I think I think that's for sure. Um, but I also think that, you know, it, that this authority also comes with Genesis 2. She is his helper. And I think that's the big thing he's talking about, right, is the creative order. Um, and I think that combined with what we see about, um, you know, authority, what we see about how we approach God in worship, as we're talking about being in the context of worship as well. Uh, I think that all kind of pieces together that that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's a symbol of somehow a symbol of um, your respect to the Lord, but that your, your understanding that this is how God has made us. And in the worship service, he has placed men here for his, for what he's asked for. And that you show a sign that you are not a man um, and that God has placed man to do what he's, what he called him to do in the worship service. And he's got women to do what he's called them to do, but it's a sign that they are other, that they are not, that they are less Right. But that is a sign, and that's what it comes back to our first video, is gender distinctions. Once again, this hammers this in. It's a sign of distinction, and it's a sign, uh, it's a, a sign of authority, uh, that, that in the church, God has placed men to be in leadership authority. Uh, and I think that's what definitively can be said so far. Well, and I, and I read something interesting. I don't think it's what's going on here, but it is, it makes you think that because it goes back to the Galatians three argument that there's no male or female in Christ Jesus. And Jesus said that we won't, you know, be married in heaven, um, but we'll be like the angels. And so somebody argued that perhaps uh, the women at Corinth were already embracing that uh, equality, uh, lack of gender uh, distinctions, and that Paul is stopping that uh, because um, there's hierarchy even in heaven that the angels recognize. Um, and so you, if you're going to be like the angels, you know, cover your heads, uh, because they recognize this now that that's a pivot point that verse then pivots back. And so he was talking about the uniqueness of men's roles. And now he is going to humble the men. So verse 11, he says, however, in the Lord, in Christ, there is neither woman independent of man, nor is man independent of a woman for as a woman originates from the man, uh, Eve from Adam. So also the man has his birth through the woman and all things originate from God. So don't get all pounding your chest guys and say, we're better and we're in charge. Uh, you are under God, just like they are. And you come from a woman. So don't forget your mom. Right. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think that's, it's a good point that he ties back. It's just, it's a reminder. This has nothing to do with, and I think we always, whenever you get into this debate is, you know, distinctions do not mean, um, you know, a status uh, right. change before the Lord. It's a distinction. Right. Uh, it's a role, a different role, but not a, um, a lesser status because you play a different role or have a different, different job or a different, uh, gender before the, before God. So then he says the conclusion, uh, to this judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? That is a, uh, question that is framed with an assumed answer of, of course not. And, and yeah. Greek has a way of doing that. All the commentators agree. Paul assumes that they'll read this and say, yeah, I, I guess you're right. We can judge that. You know, today we'd be like, oh, that's an honest question. Um, yeah. And then he goes on for an illustration. Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. 
But if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory for her hair is given for her, to her as a covering. Now, the word covering here is peribalion, which is not the word that he's been using for covering. And yeah. so a lot of people, I think even the NIV had a footnote that says, well, the hair itself is the covering. Um, we're looking at kata uh, kalupto is the word he's been using. So yeah. he's, he purposely uses a different word. He's not trying to say, yeah. so just have long hair, because he would have said that. He's, he says, no, no, no. Uh, God has given you a natural covering, uh, ladies. And so um, just recognize that. Now, you brought up an interesting point that this, this could be the cultural argument sneaking in, because even in the Bible, we have certain uh, individuals who have long hair. Uh, yeah. In agreement with like a Nazarite vow, uh, an oath that they've taken. And, and so is long hair really um, a, a physical, natural thing? Or by natural here, we're talking about uh, the general assumptions of his culture and society. Yeah. So, and I don't know. That's that's a big thing to me. You know, it does seem to be right that he he is in this case making a he's looking around and he's saying, you know, look, these are the distinctions that we see. Right. And it doesn't you know, it, it's and I think maybe what he's using, it, it appears that possibly what he's doing is he's using an illustration to say you can just look out and see. You know, it, it, it's men have short hair, women have long hair kind of a thing. Uh, I don't know. What do you think he's doing there, though? Uh, well, I think, again, he's, he's arguing from shared assumptions and then moving to theological conclusions. And so my, my bigger issue is I'm more concerned with the conclusions than I am with the assumptions. And I know yeah. a lot of, because um, because I think that we've missed something here and uh, I think we can come back. Let's just finish out the end here. Um, if one is inclined to be contentious, we have no other practice, nor have the churches of God. And, and so the final word is, don't fight over this. This is what we do in God's yeah. churches. Plural. Yeah. Not, not God's churches in Corinth, but everywhere. And so, so I guess the question then is, um, I think the thrust of the argument is men shouldn't cover their heads at worship. And women should. I, I think that that should be a very clear understanding that at least if we were in the first century world and, and Paul's alive, that every of the churches, the practice would be this. Uh, I don't know. Do you disagree or agree with that? I mean, no, I mean, so here's the here's the issue, right? Because mm -hmm. I believe that I'm, I'm one to say that all of these letters were meant to be circulated. Um, and so other churches ended up with Corinthians. And that's important to know because that's going to mean that when that letter was copied and handed off to the next, um, they're going to sit and they're going to read the same thing that you and I are reading and they're going to have to say, okay, now, um, you know, okay, I get it. And they may not have had in their background, the same context that, uh, Corinth had, right. Um, you know, it, so that, that's something that sticks with me to say, like, Okay, if this goes further, now granted, there seems to be a shared, rather shared right. culture at this time. So could that be one of those things? Um, so, you know, I don't, I think everybody kind of knows what, what he's talking about here. I guess it just comes back down to is, um, is, is, maybe here's the better question to ask. Do we have to know necessarily what the specific reason was behind why it would be a disgrace to have one's head shaved 
or to have long hair or short hair? Do we have to know the context in order to understand, um, you know, how that should relate to us today? Because here's, here's, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, okay, so most people just say, okay, this is dealing with temple prostitutes. And what Paul is simply saying is don't look like a prostitute, right? Distinguish yourself from looking like a temple prostitute, uh, you know? And so, um, what I think it's clear to say is distinguish yourself, distinguish yourself and make sure that it's clear that this is how you show this in the church. Um, I don't think you need this passage makes sense. Uh, has can only make sense with the temple prostitute background or with knowing that I think it's pretty clear, um, that he's getting at is gender distinctions, symbols of authority, um, and order within his church. Um, so I guess what I come down to though, is here's the thing, um, is the form of head coverings, uh, essential, or could we, is there another form that might fit for today? Um, and that's what we need to get down to, right? Is, is, is yeah. what is symbolized by a authority on the head? Um, is there a different symbol maybe today that might be, you know, yeah. more, uh, show that. And, and that's, that's the way. And when I took hermeneutics in seminary, that the, the common view was that in our culture today, putting a head covering on, it isn't going to communicate this to the worshipers. Um, yeah. we, we don't have this practice. Uh, so the, the principle at work is we, we ought to have something. And, and this is where I think what we do have falls short though, uh, because it limits the relationship to husband and wife here, which some commentators do, but it's not clear that this is just husband and wife language. This seems to be yeah. women and men. Now, um, just to clarify really quickly, the reason why they do that, right, is, is correct, is because the same word, is it like it is in Hebrew, for the most part, wife and woman are the same, same word? Right, gune yeah. and, and air. So um, it could be taken to be that way. And Paul doesn't, uh, but, but Paul doesn't seem to distinguish that, that he's just referring to husbands and wives here. Um, yeah. And I've read a few commentaries, but that, that is a sticking point that some, so if you isolate it to married people, um, what you're still looking for though, is a symbol that says my authority is my husband or my authority is the man that is in, I'm in care to, and that the men have the same type of uh, symbol or something that points to Christ being the head and me being the head of that family, you know, that. Uh, because by the way, by, by messing this up, we also take responsibility away from men. And, yeah. uh, you know, John, or, uh, sorry, it was Al Mohler was talking about, you know, uh, preaching and, and he makes a good point just, uh, it's anecdotal, but he says, from my experience, what I've seen is that when, um, women take things off of men's plates, men tend to be happy to give those things up, you know, yeah. I phrase it a different way, but you know, if, if, how many times do you hear women saying, I wish my husband would, and yet when there is no distinction made in worship that says my husband is the one who is standing before the family in Christ over me. And I acknowledge that. And I accept that, um, you know, that that's something. So I was told in seminary that the wedding ring is a good symbol of authority. I don't know that it is. I think it's a symbol of uh, exclusivity between a husband and wife, but that was one. And that oftentimes in history, women would take their husband's last name in marriage. And at that time, that did say, I'm coming under your name, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I've noticed today that a lot of couples aren't even getting wedding rings and a lot of women aren't taking their husband's last name. Yeah. And the reason they aren't 
for the name is they don't want to give up their name. They don't want to lose their identity. They don't want to be subsumed under their husband. It actually is for the very reason that we used to do it, uh, yeah. that, that people rebel against it. So I would argue that that one is deficient because I don't think histor historical argument is against that, that this is not just wives and husbands. Um, I think that the forms that we've substituted for this are deficient because they do not provide a, an instruction that the men have a, a, a responsibility here as well. Yeah, so, and this is a visual symbol, I think, in the church too, right? Yeah. It's a visual symbol of gender distinctions. It's also a visual symbol of authority within the church. And we don't have that. We don't, we don't have a, a, a modern day substitute. Everybody will say this is a cultural. And if it's a cultural thing, then yeah. still, what is the, what is the piece? What do we do to show that? And I think that's what you have to wrestle with, right? Is you, I think if we're going to do this, right, right. We have to either take it for what it says and say, okay, let's try this. Yeah. Or we have to really say, we don't understand. We believe that this is some sort of a cultural piece. We have to find a distinction or a symbol or something to show yeah. still what was being said by this passage. And I was teaching a hermeneutics class. I had some African-American ladies in there and they were saying, you know, we can't really grow long hair. You know, did Paul have in mind Africans? And I said, well, the church did spread to Africa. It wasn't unknown, but he seems to anticipate that. Because you don't have to be able to grow long hair. You just have to have a covering. So it's like, it's such a good form. Why discard it? You know, yeah. and if we have modern forms that are failing to communicate both truths, men's uh, role as head of the, of the ladies that are under their charge and women's recognition of the men, either in my mind, father, son, uh, husband, and maybe brother, depending on who's living. Uh, recognizing that they stand between Christ and me to represent us. Uh, if not, not that a woman can't pray or prophesy direct, the whole point is she can, but she has to acknowledge this authority structure. Exactly. So that, so that she's we can playing a role. We already saw that in the first six verses, she's playing a role in the worship service. Right. However, it must be clear. Right. And I think that's something that, by the way, that might solve. I mean, that, that seems to solve some of the issues that we have even in Baptist circles, right. Which is, ordination and what it titles mean and things like that. And I think, you know, some of that stuff could be pretty cleared up visually too, right? Of no, this is, I recognize whatever you might want to call me, here's my symbol, you know, that I show that I am under the authority of the men that God has placed in the church and they are under the authority of God. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that would maybe clear and, up even some of that too. And, and the, the reality is this was a, universal practice in the church until the second wave feminism hit. And, and so prior to the 1960s, Protestant churches, Catholic churches, Orthodox churches, for the most part, affirm this practice. I asked my dad and he would tell me about when he was a kid, all the ladies wore hats to church or had head coverings. And I remember the sixties was revolutionary. Why? Cause a lot of young men were growing long hair and all the songs talking about uh, out of the, <laughs> out of the way, long hair and all that kind of stuff. It was a rebellion against tradition that took place and men were doing it. Women were doing it. And we've inherited a, uh, a an inheritance of rebellion. And so uh, that is something can Catholic canon law didn't change on this till 1983. Um, th this was standard practice, even though people had started to give it up. And so to just try to say that this was some kind of obscure thing that that's no big deal today 
is trying to put our heads in the sand and ignore our own very recent history. Yeah. And I, I think that there's problems there. What have ha- what's happened between gender distinctions in the church over the last 60 years? Uh, maybe it's because we're not affirming the principles laid out by the apostle. Yeah. I have so one what quote. Do you do? Yeah. Where do you go from here? Well, I, I'm looking at introducing some traditional liturgy or traditional worship style. And actually, uh, it's hard once, you know, once Pandora's box is opened, once, once yeah. this is given up, how do you do it? Because you'd have to really instruct people. This is not a salvation issue, but this might be a good practice to intentionally bring back in the church to say boys are boys, girls are girls, and God structures our, our, our walk as Christians accordingly. Yeah. So, so I think yeah. we should bring it back. I don't know how to get there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to take, I think to do it, it's a, you know, that it's going to be, it's going to take, you have to have conviction on this too. Yeah. Right. That's going to be the hard part is people have to have conviction. And, and that being said is there are, there are major disagreements over this passage uh, with other people and that's okay. Um, but I think if that's, I'll, I'll say this to those who are listening, if it's your conviction that this is what this means, then I do think that you, you know, go with it. Yeah. Um, you know, because, and, and here's what I think I liked about, you know, what um, I think it's, I'm going to paraphrase R.C. Sproul here, uh, especially on this topic. Um, he had said that it was in his opinion. And I like this. He said that it's better to, if you're going to go with something um, to, uh, to not to, you'd rather be an error of, of, you know, being literal with it than with writing it off essentially because you, you, in calling it culture. And I think there's yeah. some wisdom. I, I'm, I know I'm butchering his quote there on that. Um, but uh, that was, I think his opinion on this contentious issue, right. Which is, you know, that we need to, you know, we don't want to be an error of just letting right. it go, but are you saying that we have been astray in this practice since the sixties and yeah, yeah. I, I think we have. And, and again, if we just went back in time, we got in a time machine, went to church a hundred years ago, yeah. we'd find out we've gone astray in a lot of ways in order, usually primarily to be open to the culture and bring them in. Yeah. Uh, and we gave up church culture, which uh, today I think uh, we realize that's a failed endeavor. You know, the church is uh, struggling everywhere and uh, opening up the doors and basically compromising all tradition and whatever pragmatically works is what we'll just agree to. We're the church that used to have uh, strong pulpits and uh, eschewed uh, um, too much imagery. And, and now you go into a church today and there is no pulpit, but we've got, you know, screens that are 40 feet long and all kinds of visual crazy stuff going yeah. on smoke machines. Uh, what's the theological basis for that? Um, the same churches that would reject incense because it's too Catholic would have a smoke machine because it's cool. And that's what the bands are doing these days. You know, yeah. we're so backwards that it's, well, uh, it's lost a lot. So yeah, I think we've given up a, a good biblical practice and we have not substituted the appropriate substitutions. That's my yeah, bigger we, we've issue. We've just given it up and we've not even, we haven't even tried to say what's the authority. In fact, no. I think a lot of churches give up on all of this. Like it's cultural. We don't even deal with it. Okay. If, even if it's cultural, then what's the symbol? And so I think your conviction is to be, if you read this, and you think about this is if you think of the, the literal interpretation, the symbol there is for you, do it. Don't worry about what other people think. Um, if you think, look, there's some sort of symbol, but I need to figure out my life. How do I recognize this? How do I, how do I do that? I mean, you've got to be faithful to that. That's right. at least what the text is saying. 
Um, yeah, I think, I think, um, you know, it, it, one thing I think we need to think about people would, who would say that these things are not, um, this is not going to help you grow a church if you do these things or whatnot, you know, oh, well, but I want to say, I think it's quite interesting. If you see, think about like the rise of Islam in America. Yeah. Um, uh, like I met a guy a while ago, young guy uh, from here, converted, um, grew up in the Valley and is in all the traditional clothing now, right? There's something to be said. And I think there is something to be said too about a culture that is craving some sort of norm, some sort of tradition, some sort of distinction with the world. And for the most part, for, the, for at least for a while, the church has said, we have no distinctions with the world. It is, we are the same. We dress the same. We do the same. There's no difference between us and you, except we have a party on Sunday. And, right. and yeah, I remember the banners that you, you see are the big signs you see driving down to where you're at. Uh, from the what is it now called the bridge church it, what, it used to be the cool church right and it was like uh, are you bored looking for something fun to do come to the cool church on sunday and i'm thinking if i'm bored i'm gonna find something better to do than go to your church but and, and, yeah. and i think the younger generation we've already seen this with the emergent church trying to bring in practices there there was a level of popularity that the younger generation is seeking a, a an older more mystical faith that yeah. is less uh, 1990, you know, it's less purpose-driven church. It, it's more yeah. like, you know, should architecture point me to Jesus? Should, should everything be thoughtful in here? Maybe we shouldn't be playing um, ball tag in the sanctuary, you know, once once we're done. Uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff, it, it, it is something people are struggling with and thinking through. I, I don't want to get too ritualistic um, because I think the rebellion against that is where what brought us to where we are. But we, we just need to be saying, Lord, whatever you have given us, we are going to seek to obey. And, yeah. um, and then to the best of our knowledge, I would also say that you could consider in, as a pastor or a leader, if you want to bring this back is just requiring those that are either performing or leading worship or, um, visible to adopt this and say, okay, uh, we've got a lady who's our pianist and, and we want her to wear a head cover and any men on stage, you're going to take that off. I'm not going to yell at the visitor. Right. Um, but I, I, I do think we could start, you know, cascading this down. Uh, to kind of say that this is where we stand and you can explain it. I haven't made that move yet because, you know, there's just too many things to address. But Paul could have overlooked this and he dedicates a whole big section to this. And it, it was important. And is this as important to us as it is to the apostle? No. <laughs> um, now, I wanted to kind of end with this. This is Tertullian, about 180 AD. So pretty early. And he is addressing the question because it's come up again. And he says, I pray you be mother or sister or virgin daughter. Let me address you according to the names proper for your years. Veil your head. If a mother for your son's sake, if a sister for your brethren's sake, if a daughter for your father's sake, all ages are periled in your person. Put on the penelope of modesty. Surround yourself with the stockade of bashfulness. Rear a rampart for your sex, which must neither allow your own eyes aggress nor ingress to other people's. Wear the full garb of women to preserve the standing of virgin. And then he keeps going on. But um, he says clearly within 100 years, this is what we do. And this is not just for husbands and wives. This is for all women. And then, of course, he might be importing some sort of, again, a cultural idea that if women are seen, that there's some sort of uh, attraction going on. Um, but that is a Middle Eastern 
deal. I, I don't know that yeah. Paul's arguing from that point, but we know, again, this is not some obscure practice that died out and we're trying to revive it. No, this, this is a common practice. It's still held today by the Orthodox. It's still held by the, the Catholic Byzantines and the, the, the Mass for the Ages, the Latin Mass. They still do this. It's really modern Christianity that has written this one off. Um, you know, uh, you know, I think this is an interesting discussion. I think it is. It's one of the things that, you know, we need to think through. How do we do this? And how do we how do we really play this out? Um, one thing I do think it'd be interesting to look at is why is it in Judaism, when you pray as a man, you cover your head? You know, what's the deal with the the flip on that? Um, but not for now. But I think this is a good discussion. I think it's something that, you know, you should as a family, I think you should read through this together and figure out what do we believe? Where are we at on this? And begin like that too. begin in your own family to say, this is why we do this. This is what we believe and uh, and have your convictions. But I don't think we should just poo poo this. Uh, I think you need to read it. You need to come to grips with what it says and deal with the authority issue, number one, and then deal with this. Is this symbol what we're going to use? Or if you feel like that's a cultural symbol, then what symbol do you have for your family, for you? Um, so by the way, this is not sponsored by any fabric, uh, uh, <laughs> maker at all today. Um, this episode has been sponsored by no one, uh, just in case you were wondering, we didn't just, if you'd like to sponsor us, <laughs> yeah, if you are a fabric company and maybe you would like to, you know, we'll gladly no. Um, yeah. but that's it, man. I think that's all that I can say on this. I think it's a good discussion. Um, and like I said, you're going to find majority guys. If you look at this, I mean, majority of what you're going to find is not, you know, if people are wrestling with this, it's not as clear cut, but it does seem like right now in America, we have made our decision on what we want to do. And I don't know if that's the best thing. I think that's one of the reasons why you and I are doing what we're doing, right? Which is why don't we think theologically about what we're doing, right? Have yeah. I truly thought about it and looked at the passage or have I just continued to do what I've always done? So I think it's good to, to, to bring yourself to this conclusion and say, what, what do I believe about this or not? I think it's a good place to leave it. You want to close this out? Uh, you uh, bet. I would love to. <laughs> so um, actually in Numbers 6, talking about the Nazarite vow, at the very end of it though, they get this about how the priests could come Nazareth about because of the long hair. So I brought that up. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. All right. That is all. Thanks for watching and uh, let us know what you think or not if you want to, but that's uh, we're glad you could listen to us today on this. All right. We'll talk to you later. All right. Take care.